It's the lowdown on Sports 1444 Wolf GMC Buick. Hurry in for financing as low as 0%, cash discounts, and more on remaining 2023 Sierra Half Tons, plus cash discounts on remaining GMC and Buick SUVs. Wolf GMC Buick.com. That Born to Run album. I bought the album. The first song, the, the best album Springsteen ever did. And the first song was called Thunder Road, and that is easily the best song by Bruce Springsteen in history, as they say. Now, a man who knows more about history than I do, whether it be music or the stars or pretty much anything, is Bruce McCurdy from the Cult of Hockey of the Edmonton Journal. Bruce, how are you? I'm well today, Alan. How about yourself? I'm very well. Now, I saw, I did not read, but I saw an article that you have about what is more valuable, 70 goals or 100 assists. <laughs> uh, that was you, right? Yes. Okay. Tell me. That could only be me. <laughs> tell, tell me about the process. And tell me, uh, you don't have to tell me your conclusion, but I'd love it if you said where you were leaning. Right. Well, I I first brought up uh, players very familiar to you, Alan, uh, right from your era, the 1970-71 Boston Bruins, who featured the first 70-goal man in Phil Estevito, the first 150-point man, also Estevito, and the first 100-assist man, that being Bobby Orr. And they trailblazed for a uh, a completely new class of stats were unheard of, you know, until just a couple of years before. Nobody even got 100 points in this season or hit 60 goals or hit 80 assists before those guys came along. And for about 20-odd years thereafter, it was, wasn't commonplace, but uh, uh, in each case, about 13 to 16 times those three milestones were hit. Uh, and then since uh, the mid-90s, uh, since the trap came in, basically, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, more emphasis on defensive and systems play, uh, goaltender coaching, bigger gear, all that stuff, uh, it's, it seemed to become impossible. Uh, and for 25 to 30 years, it was n- n- those milestones were never hit until last year, Connor McDavid hit 150 points. First guy since Mario in 96. And now this year, we have two guys that, through their recent ridiculous hot streaks in the various categories, are challenging for the 70-goal and 100-assist mark, uh, respectively. And, of course, that's Austin Matthews of Toronto, who's got 12 goals since the break and is now on pace for 74 goals. And the other guy is, again, McDavid, who has 23 assists in 10 games. And he's on pace for 104 assists. So both of those numbers have sort of popped up independently. And I'm thinking, geez, how rare is that? And, you know, how long has it been since the last one? In each case, very early 90s. And the conclusion was it's almost the same difficulty in terms of, you know, how often it's been done. Uh, the assist one is a little, maybe a little more exclusive in the sense only three different players have ever done it. Or did it once. Lemieux did it once. And some guy named Gretzky did 11 years in a row. <laughs> <laughs> you and know, <laughs> uh, so I have a couple of questions about that to follow up, and then we're going to move on to tonight's game. But yeah. uh, I think the big upset or the big um, the big thing for Austin Matthews is that he's been able to stay healthy. A lot of his uh, mm-hmm. scoring exploits have happened in, you know, three quarters of a season during his career. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, last year for sure. Yeah, he and had I, a bad risk. I I do think that that and I, I think of Taylor Hall when I'm saying this, not Austin Matthews, but 
staying healthy is a thing, and and Matthews uh-huh. appears to have discovered that, and that is a big deal. And you know, I, I mean, I like to see records broken, and I think Austin Matthews is a fantastic player. So I hope he stays healthy. But that's that's sort of the one of the key elements, right? Like he's had good scoring numbers before, uh, and then you know spent a month or more like not being able to play, and that kind of derails him. Yeah, well, think Barry Lemieux if you want to take yeah. your picture or your man Bobby Orr. How many seasons did he play that were, you know, fantastic, but not the full eighty or seventy-eight or whatever the season length was at that time? And so, uh, longevity or you know durability is is a big part of the equation. Uh, Matthews now, after becoming the first guy in ten years to get to sixty goals year before last. And, of course, last year, McDavid and Pasternak did. So, it's, you know, the goals are creeping up. And we're starting to see more of these sort of big, big, uh, uh, big individual numbers in seasons uh, as, you know, this, this study supports. Uh, but it's key that, you, you know, I mean, McDavid's missed two games this year, Matthews won, and they need to stay there if they really want to take a run at these that, that these milestone uh, milestone. Uh, Threshold. Bruce McCurdy, our guest, Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal. Uh, I've had an ongoing conversation today with a lot of Oilers fans who just don't feel like Stuart Skinner is the guy. Uh, they would like to make a trade for another goalie who's, uh, you know, I guess more experienced and has had more playoff success. My feeling has always been find a goalie and stay with that goalie, and maybe it comes mm-hmm. from, you know, my Jerry Cheever's past and my Grant Fuhrer past. But uh, mm-hmm. what what are your thoughts about Skinner and and entrusting him with another playoff run uh, as a sophomore. Yeah, well, I have a Grant Fuhrer past as well. And I can cite by memory Grant Fuhrer's statistics from his first playoff year of uh, 1981-82, uh, in which he had a 505 goals against average and 853 save percentage. As the orders got absolutely shocked by the LA Kings in the first round of the playoffs. And there was people that wanted to give up on him at that time. And the next year he actually didn't play. Andy Moog, another very young goaltender, uh, got the call in the 83 playoffs and took him to the finals. But by 84, Fuhrer was back in the net as the first choice. And of course, he and ultimately he and Moog together uh, led Edmonton to their first Stanley Cup. And he was still a young goalie at that time. And he quickly became known as Mr. Clutch. Mm. And how does that relate to a 505, 853? Uh, it doesn't, other than he grew and developed and, and, uh, and uh, you know, came a little, you know, got, got a little uh, harder edge to his, to his game. And, and I wouldn't judge any young goalie, really any young player, off of their very first playoff experience. I mean, Conor McDavid had nine points in 13 games in his first playoff run. Was, does that mean he's a bum? I don't think it does. <laughs> <laughs> Chris McCurdy, our guest, called to hockey at the Amazon Journal on the Lowdown with Low Tide at Sports 1440. All right, Bruce, tonight, uh, the Oilers, man, they, they had a wobble there after the All-Star break. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought the Dallas game was good. I think that last night, or the other night's game was good. And, yes. and you know, some I always say that the, the you know the orders have this repeatable game in them uh and sometimes it goes away a little bit i felt like they you know they were getting good wood on the ball as it were in that last game and now i guess the thing is to to be able to come out and beat st louis in a similar way in a controlled way 
Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned Stu Skinner. He had a very strong game against Los Angeles, I thought. And it was a, a very important bounce-back game for him after, you know, he looked a little fake in a couple games, especially the Calgary one. And it, it, the team as a whole needed to, to turn a corner. You know, it was the fourth game of the home stand and the third period of that game before they finally got a lead in any of the games. Yeah. And once they got that 3-2 lead, boy, they just put her in shutdown mode. And I loved the way they always played the last, you know, once they had the 3-2 lead right through the end of the Kings game. You know, the Kings had a, a you know a bit of a shooting gallery from outside with the goalie pulled, but by then the Oilers had, had doubled the lead and, you know, were in a pretty good situation. And that team reminded me more of the one in January than almost anyone I've seen in terms of how they maintain the lead with smart puck management, good decisions, get pucks out, get pucks deep, get off, new line change over the boards, and don't do any foolish drop passes or or cross seam or, or uh, back towards your own goal passes where there wasn't, you know, a hundred percent chance they were going to make the play. And they just, they, they, they suddenly looked like that mature veteran team that knew what the hell they were doing out there, which was a pleasant change for February and hopefully the beginning of a, of a uh, new direction. Uh, Bruce, I, I, I'm at, I've been waiting to ask you this question since the weekend and I, I can't wait to get your answer. Does Matthias Janmark remind you of any previous Oiler player uh, in terms of, of what he brings? And this little run that he's having, I think, really kind of brings into clear view about what he can do uh, and and why he has value to the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, first and foremost, he has value because he's a reliable defensive player. And on the bottom six of the Oilers, where he usually is, not quite all the time, but most of the time he's in the bottom six, they don't score much, and he's part of the reason they don't. Uh, But he's also a big part of the reason why the other guys don't score much. And if they just go out and saw off their part of the game night after night, that, you know, give David and Drysaddle a breather, and, you know, where they don't come back over the boards where the Oilers are two goals further behind them when they went off to the rest. You know, it's uh, that's helpful in its own right. Um, but he's a real gamer. Man, he does smart things. That little kick pass he made off the boards yeah. the other night yeah. to Nuge that set up the two-on-one, that was gorgeous. Didn't get much commentary because, of course, they you know, they had to skate the puck three-quarters of the length of the ice from there. Uh, but that play where he took the clearing pass up the wall and just, Punted it up right into right into the lane where Nuge just skated on it and uh, went down with Brown two on one. Uh, that was nice, and, you know. And he's getting his goals now. He got three goals in the last five by, uh, uh, you know, being around the net and either having pucks bounce in off him or pouncing on rebounds. Or in the one case, he stepped around the goalie and tucked it home. Uh, and then, of course, the other matter that caught everybody's attention was him uh, dropping the gloves and going after uh, Blake Coleman. And I'm not a huge fight fan anymore, but I have to say, I like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I like, you know, some people say, well, what's Darnell Nurse doing? Why doesn't he just drop and just pound the crap out of a guy 30 pounds lighter than him? And I'm thinking, no, I want a guy that's, you know, pound for pound. You you, you know, you're going to take a run at McDavid. You have to answer to our whole team. And if it happens to be T.S. Dianmark, great. He comported himself very well indeed in his second career fight. 
Uh, I went and I looked up his record on hockeyfights.com and I watched his other fight two years ago against uh, Nick Cousins, who has since established quite a reputation as being a, uh, uh, a cheap shot artist. And I'm not sure exactly what preceded it, but I do know that Jan Mark Lates beat down on him. <laughs> that was his first fight. You know, we're, we're, we're so uh, inured to this long, at least the old folks among us, this long-standing reputation of, uh, uh, of uh, European players, especially Swedes, is not being uh, particularly keen on that aspect of the game. They didn't grow up with it, of course, but... Uh, I thought Janmark, uh, uh, as I say, did, did very well in the in the occasion. I, I thought it was relatively appropriate because you know, Coleman took liberties yeah. in how he finished that check with McDavid. I mean, McDavid took the hit to make the play and resulted in Oilers' goal. But when uh, Coleman kind of dropped him on his head at the end of it, I was thinking, this can't do. Yeah, and obviously Matthias Janmark shared my feelings on that. <laughs> well, I, I love it because uh, you know uh, bravery and gumption don't know any borders, and I, I love it when a guy mm-hmm. like Janmark. Yeah, and I, it just proves that that the the idea uh, is ridiculous and should be called out and and is by mm-hmm. by good people. Uh, so I also wanted to ask you about Evan Bouchard. A lot of pushback on Evan Bouchard the last little while about him being. <sighs> A more complete player now. I like he is exploding offensively, and there's no doubt about that. And there's no doubt that he benefits from playing with wildly elite offensive players. But 56 points in 56 games, 15 goals, 41 assists. Uh, he's a year and a bit away from his next contract. I, I think that we're watching a player take at least one step, maybe two in a uh, in a single year with Evan Bouchard. And some of what I read uh, where uh, the national media is saying, well, he's got to be, you know, one of the top five defensemen in the league uh, and at least considered for the Norris. But locally, there's that sense of, and I've always felt Oilers fans prefer the Jason Smith types to the Paul Coffey types. Mm-hmm. And Evan Bouchard mm-hmm. is a puck mover, but I think he's he's a more complete player now than he was a year ago. Fair? Uh, yeah, oh, 100% more complete than a year ago. He still has a ways to go. I mean, that that uh, play where he was burned by uh, Matthew Roy, I think it was, yep. that t- stepped around him, and he was kind of facing the wrong way, and he was not even in the proper lane and looked bad. But then you look back at that game and say, well, he, he didn't get an assist on the first goal, but he helped create it by uh, forcing the play along the wall and uh, uh, on the pinch. And then the second goal where he just sifted a shot in from the point that Leon tipped home. And then, of course, the boost bomb that turned out to be the game winner. And at the end of the night, you're going, well, plus two, and he earned it. You know, and, and you can fixate and, uh, and wring your hands over the one play where he got burned. Or you can say, on balance, this is a guy who outscores uh, his mistakes, which you can't say that about every order, to say the least. And his coach, Paul Coffey, was much like that. He made a ton of defensive errors and, and thought of blunders. Uh, coffee, but he more, you know, you look at his at the end of the year and he'd be plus 50 and consistently. And, and he, he literally would outscore his mistakes. And you, you have to be prepared to say, unless the guy is, you know, sort of the perfect defenseman, right? I mean, some folks point to Chris Pronger. Well, those guys don't happen along very often, uh, certainly not on your team. Uh, 
Boosh is, uh, I think, developing very nicely. He's still 24 years old, and he's, you know, first year of his bridge, and he's blossoming uh, into the next level, and, and we're not sure if there's even another level beyond that, but uh, uh, he's a very valuable uh, player and contributor on the current Oilers. What What is your feeling about the deadline? I've asked you so many times, so I'm not going to ask you what the needs are. I'm just, I, I feel like, you know, I should be disqualified from interviewing people if I ask that again, but okay. where are you on the deadline? Is it is it just best player available, whether it be Bichnevich or Tanev or Gensel, or do you have a specific area that you'd like to see addressed? Uh, top six uh, right wing, preferably Hall of Fame caliber. Sure. Top four defense, preferably Hall of Fame caliber. <laughs> Backup goalie who's willing to step in at a moment's notice and win the Stanley Cup. Uh, uh, extra defenseman, bottom six center who's right-handed, wins all the face-offs, kills penalties, and hits people. That's my list. <laughs> so one or two of the above would be would be good. And of course, I'm teasing about Hall of Fame caliber. I don't see that there's a goalie solution. I mean, you can talk all you want about Jake Allen maybe being an upgrade on uh, uh, Calvin Pickard, but seriously, folks, is Jake Allen going to win you a Stanley Cup if you wind up needing to use him? Right? You're at a certain point, you're going to have to roll your dice. Certain players don't get injured or don't have, uh, you know, go into slumps. And a key injury at any position can sink you in the playoffs. Simple as that. And you can't protect against all of them. So, but to me, like the 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 top six forward is, uh, uh, or else a real strong three C that you can bump Brian McLeod up into the top six where he's showing well, and some kind of depth on defense because you know they got the six guys that. that that never get hurt. Yeah. Uh, but what if one of them does? You know, what if two of them do? Right. You got you got Broberg, at least for now, and uh, then you got a whole lot of question marks. So uh, a depth defenseman, I'd be shocked, shocked. I tell you, if Ken Holland <laughs> did not trade for a depth defenseman because he's traded for a deep, that's been his first trade for an incoming player in four out of four trade deadlines here, and he's got a long history doing the exact same thing in Detroit. You know, from Chris Chalios to Yuri Slager at the deadline, he'd always bring in some veteran D-man, and I fully expect to uh, to see that. And there's two kinds of transactions. There's the one where you just get the guy at basically minimum, or even in cer- certain specialized cases with retention, you can even get him for below minimum, and just you're shuffling deck chairs, so to speak, and maybe making a little improvement in your bottom six, bottom pairing, or, or what have you. But there's a one other one where you spend real assets, and also you have to make salary room to bring in a, a, a you know a higher end player, and the Oilers do have a little room to to uh, uh, maneuver there. They can take on two almost 2.4 million in cap if they made a deal right at the deadline, and of course you could trade out a million dollar player, and then you've got room for a 3.4 million dollar guy coming in. Uh, and again, there's retention, but the issue there is that some sometimes you hear, well, if they get a guy with term left, then we're willing to give up a first rounder or maybe Broberg or, or what have you. Uh, 
but this guy is making six million, so we're going to need retention. Well, I've noticed one thing about retention: teams are generally happy to give it for the rest of this season. Mm-hmm. They're not at all happy about giving retention years into the future, at least any significant amount of it, because that's going to, you know, that's dead cap space for them for next year and and potentially beyond. And GMs are very reluctant to do that, and I understand why. I'm reluctant to do it myself were I a GM. Bruce, thanks for this. Appreciate it. Thank you, Alan. Have a great week. You too. There's Bruce McCurdy, Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal. We'll take a break and talk about trades next. Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. The Lowdown on Sports 1440. Brought to you by Wolf GMC Buick. Check them out at wolfgmcbuick.com. Interesting conversation with Bruce McCurdy about Evan Bouchard and Stuart Skinner and uh, the trade deadline. He didn't even want a lot, did he? He didn't feel like there was much there. Uh, for the Oilers to do as a Hall of Fame right winger, Hall of Fame right defenseman, <laughs> Hall of Fame backup goalie, Hall of Fame number four center, yeah, and maybe a little depth. A Hall defenseman. of Fame fans, Hall yeah. of Fame coach. Yeah. yeah, I mean, not a lot. He just wanted to talk. It was good. I liked it. McCurdy has such a, a like a an encyclopedic memory. Like he's ripping off Grant Fuhrer's first playoff season yeah. save percent. I can't remember where my car is. <laughs> you could probably remember something like that too. To be fair. But I love Bruce. He's always so nice when we call him. Yeah, well, he's a good guy. I love Bruce. Yeah, and you know what? He's His podcast, when he's interviewing with us, one of the most d- downloaded, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're running the numbers, and well, Bruce I mean, is a star know. attraction. Well, it's because he's he, he's a gentleman, and he knows stuff, and people do send in things that, you know, asking questions and things, and we do that as much as we can, but we also understand that, you know, Bruce's time is limited. He's got to go out and walk and do all the stuff that he normally does. You know, we don't want to keep him for too long. So, uh, what we, we talked earlier about trades that the orders might make and maybe trades that we would like to see them make. One of the things that, that I think we should talk about before, you know, I, I know every day is going to be the same until we get there. They're going to make one big trade, but some smaller ones, right? And I mentioned Joel Armia earlier. But there are all kinds of young defensemen, or I guess veteran defensemen, that, that uh, he'd be looking for. I mentioned Nick Letty. He's too much money for the orders. Is there anybody out there that you like who maybe isn't like front line that we haven't talked about that you, you might like to see uh, come back to Edmonton or at least play in Edmonton for the first time as they go for the Stanley Cup run? One of the things I'm going to regret is if they move Sam Gagne, which could happen because I'd like to see him here as part of a Stanley Cup winner. I would love to see. I would love to see Gagne win a cup here in Edmonton. I think that would mean a lot to him, mean a lot to this fan base. One name that I don't think we've thrown out a whole too much is Zach Bogosian. Yeah, I wouldn't mind him. Um, yeah, other than that, I don't know. I'll, like I, I just think you're in such a position where you have to go for it, right? Like yeah. you can make these small little knickknack trades here and there, but at the end of the day, you have to go big. You have to go big, and you have to hit a home run. And uh, I think that's why that's what we focus on. But as far as one of the guys who's maybe a check down, like I said, I like Zach. You know, it's good. I mean, I, I feel like the – the Ken Holland has – I think he's over-traded at, at, at most deadlines when he brought in Athanasio and Green and then, you know, the pandemic hit. I mean, I, I know people get mad at him for it, but I don't think you can blame the GM for not knowing when the pandemic was going to hit. That seems like a lot uh, to ask. But um, the most frustrated I've ever been in the last decade at a deadline was the year that – Peter Shirelli only acquired David DeHarnay. And that was a team that really did, I think, have a chance. And they were young and early in McDavid's run here. I think it was 
his second year as an Edmonton Oiler. And I, 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 I look back on that, and I really do wonder what he was waiting for. He had been so aggressive up until then. And when Sekera got hurt, it really did turn the series. And I know the in-the-crease play did too, but losing Sekera, and then they lost him for the next year, and they signed Russell, and then they were all out of cap room, and they're running Tyratty. That kind of thing, I think the new general manager is going to have to overcome a couple of things. One of them is the cap issue. And if you look at cap friendly and you say, okay, this team is going to sign Evan Bouchard, Connor McDavid, and Leon Dreisaitl to big money in the next few years, who can they trade? And the answer is almost nobody yep. because of the no movement clause. And so, I mean, it's just, it's just astounding to me the new GM is going to come in here and go, okay, what can I do? What can I do? And it's the answer is not a lot. And, and I, like, I, I think you're kind of stuck where you're, I mean, I don't think you can go to Nuge and say, Nuge, we got to send you out, because why would he do that? He's got a no-movement clause. of Andrew Kane, in 2025, which is a year from now, it's a modified 16-team trade list. So that's one of the ones that you might look at. Um, and then later on for Zach Hyman and Darnell Nurse, who have structured deals where they're looking at 26 and 27, where they have a, a limited no trade. And I mentioned yesterday, and it is worth you know keeping in mind, if this team falters, if this team you know sends away McDavid or McDavid signs elsewhere or Leon Dreisaitl, then that would also change the change the the scenario and the equation but and I don't know how to avoid it here's what here's why I wanted to bring it up today because Kyle Dubas is sitting on the same thing in Pittsburgh and he's trying to salvage a you know it's like um if you read the the history of people there's always great brilliant cities that die and it's because of what they've been doing and they just kind of the end is not good but the good times are very good and for the Oilers they haven't won a Stanley yet but they are getting towards the way Pittsburgh, you know, is now where you're running out of track. You don't have any prospects. You've got a lot of overpaid guys. I mean, that Carlson deal does not look good a year later for them. And I don't know how to avoid it, boys. I don't know how the Oilers get out of where they are. The new GM comes in. What can he do? The die is cast. Well, winning solves all, right? You yeah. win. You win just one, and this is all for naught. We don't care. You just win one. Everything is solved. The skies are blue, the rainbows are shining, and that's what it's about. If we can just win one in this window, in this tenure, we're not going to care about any of this at all, and I think that's going to be the mindset of Holland right now for one, Jeff Jackson right now for one, the new GM coming in, this team as a whole, and I think that's where we need to put our chips in. What if they don't win? Well, if they don't win, it is going to be a significant black X on the legacies of Connor and Leon, in my mind, and it is going to be a significant indictment on the management of this team to not put a Stanley Cup surrounding caliber roster around those two guys. If the, It's a possibility, right? I mean, winning is not certain. It is not a done deal. I think they'll get one. I fully expect them to. Uh, but if they don't, like I said, it, it you're going to look back and you're going to say that was a colossal failure, and it will take years and years, if not decades, to get over as fans in the city. I I I don't think there's 
I don't think you can break this fan base. I don't. I mean, this fan base has been to hell and back after being rewarded beyond any expectation. Even the Montreal Canadiens, you know, would have a hard time looking at that five and seven they enjoyed in the 80s and going, yeah, not bad. I agree because of everything that's happened in the histrionics on this club. But there is a new generation of fans, the Donovans, the Myselfs, that (laughs) look at this and understand that this is, you know, such a window and such a talent we get to watch night in, night out, that if it doesn't live up to expectations, if we don't get the ultimate prize, there's going to be something said, and that word, I think, has to be failure. And that applies for you, you're saying it to me, so I'm just repeating your words, to not just management, but also the players. Yes. But I hold players to a very high standard. And I think I've, I've talked about some people with this, and I think I need to work on that a little bit in a ho- through a hockey lens because I look at it generally through a basketball lens. But there's nothing wrong with that, and here's why yeah. I'll tell you. Because I do think that the closer you get, one of the reasons I, don't, I, I just don't really like going to the press box, mm-hmm. and I have done it, but it's rare, is I don't want to be, I feel like the closer you get to the Edmonton Oilers, the farther away you get yeah. from being, like seeing them as they are. It's yeah. easy to get sucked up in the the kind of the the grand feel of the place, right? And yeah. the, the the history that you're watching on ice every night. Right. And and that's what it is at the end of the day, it's history. Yeah, exactly. We're living in the here and now, we're living in the present, right? you know. And so I like I I think there's a real danger uh if you're a member of media or if you're a fan in getting too close and then losing your I love the edginess of the younger fans who are like uh, to hell with that noise. Oh yeah. You know, I'm saying, well, maybe maybe save a draft pick. Screw that. Trade everything, you know, rip it down because, yep. and, and it's true, when the Oilers are bad again, they're going to be picking high again. There's no doubt in my mind. There are going to be, like the last few seasons, whoever's standing on this roster, mm-hmm. long-term deals, it might be Bouchard. Yep. You know, he signs long-term and then everybody, you know, gets out of Dodge. It's going to be Bouch and Nuge. Probably, yeah. yeah. And, you know, everybody will love them, but there's going to be some tough years. Like Crosby, you know, I don't know if anybody realizes what they're looking at. By the way, Mark Andre Fleury won't be traded. The Minnesota Wild have just said that, and but you know he's been on the playoffs. I think every year forever. Yep, might miss it this year. Wouldn't um, seem right, would it? No, no, not at all. But I get it. I get why they don't. You know, I think that Vegas series is still on a lot of people's minds, and I think that that. The problem with drawing conclusions from a small uh, you people who knew who knew um, math and new trends and new regression way better than me used to say, "Well, you know, it's a small sample, right?" But that doesn't happen anymore. No, and it, a lot of it is because of the Vegas series is still in people's mind. Yep, they got there was two penalties, Broberg and Yanmark. There's the game five changed on that, and then game six again in the second period, and. A lot of weird things happened. Like Petrangelo get, does something that should have gotten him three or four games. He gets one game. Mm-hmm. Nurse does something that you could you could say wasn't really like jumping in and whatever. It was it was a it was a hockey play. Yeah, it was it happened to happen at a different at a specific time of the game. Both go against the orders, and they end up losing that series. But I don't think I just don't think you can draw massive conclusions. And that's all this year has been where the coach says we're going to change the defensive system because of the Zach White cloud goal, which is a great goal, and Warren Vogel didn't check down as he should have. and 
but a whole scenario was created about how they had to change everything, and it ended up costing Woodcroft his job. Yeah. It has been corrected, and now I fear we're going into the deadline, and once again, maybe the, those factors that they're thinking about are going to be askew because of a small... You remember when Washington lost against Montreal? I think it was... Was it Halak in 08 or so? I can't remember who the goalie was. Uh, and they changed everything. Changed the coach, changed everything. Just stripped it down, started again. They didn't win for another almost decade mm-hmm. with Ovechkin. And I think t- sometimes teams make mistakes reacting to things that aren't actually what they appear to be. And that's why I'm very glad that they've hired an analytics department and a really, really smart guy uh, to run that. Okay. Are you ready? Have you got it all scripted and ready to roll? For NBA Wednesday? Well, is that what we're calling it? Are we calling it Duncan with Declan? Sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, Duncan with Declan. I'm so, I like NBA Wednesday because NBA Wednesday is the ESPN broadcast, so I've lived with that for so many years. But no, Duncan with Declan, yes, I am ready. If we could ever get... I don't have anything written down, but I'm ready. If we could ever get that panel... Mm, my goodness, we'd be flying. Like Shaq. Like you talk about... the, yeah, TNT broadcast. And those guys we, are crazy. What if we could do, like, those guys could come on and do karaoke with us. Shaq would do karaoke with I know anybody. he'd do that Shaq song he would wrote do to Kobe. For a check. And we couldn't have that. Yeah. No. I would that whole panel, Shaq, Chuck, Ernie, Kenny, all in studio. My goodness. Love it. Okay. We'll take a break. On the way, talking NBA. Low down with low tide on Sports 1440. Sports 1440 for Wolf GMC Buick. They're at WolfGMCBuick.com. We say hello to Doug and Mary. I just I just love that music. I mean, doesn't it make you want to run around the mall all day? I've said this, but I'll say it every time the song comes on. It makes me think I could play in the NBA. <laughs> I hear that song, and I just think about hitting a step back to my left, straight buckets over James Harden. I hit him with his own move. I think if I was a military general. Oh, wow. I would just play that before everybody grabbed their musket and ran over the hill. Oh, yeah. All right, boys. <laughs> and they're still using muskets. I know you're. <laughs> well, I didn't say we were going to win. All right, boys. I, I usually give you a speech, but this is better. And just play that puppy and then run over the hill with the you musket. Should, you should get John Tesh in there to actually compose an orchestra. Sure. That'd be great. Yeah. My goodness. Can't believe John Tesh did that. Yeah. And his brother, I think. I think he did it with his brother. Do you remember watching the old NBA broadcast in the 90s and 2000s? And, oh, yes. Yeah, and yeah. hearing that one. NBA. I remember John Tesh. I think he was with uh, Mary, um, the, what was her name on Entertainment Tonight? Ooh, I'm not sure. might have been before my time. It was before your time. I think it was the like late seventies, eighties. I gotta look that up. I'm sorry. I know I'm taking your time. No, my good. It's your show. You never. She used to go to Mary Hart. Yeah, she used to go to uh, games. Anyway, I'm not telling you what she did, but it was wild, and uh, she was very popular for a long time, and she was actually famously um, on a Seinfeld episode where her voice would cause uh, convulsions for Kramer. Wow. I know none of this matters, and none of this is the NBA. No, we love this. So let's talk about the Celtics who crushed my 76ers dreams. They did. My goodness. Yep. No, listen, the Celtics are the class of the NBA right now. The one thing I worry about with the Celtics is we've seen this movie before a little bit. They always look, in recent history, they always look great in the regular season. They're always flying. They're always near the top of the Eastern Conference. They have three conference finals in the last four years, including an NBA finals appearance, but they always seem to fall short. The question is, are they due and are they a team that can actually finally win that NBA championship or is this what they are? Are they a team that's always going to be right there, 
but always end up falling short. I tend to lean to the former. I think Jason Tatum is a guy who can lead your team to an NBA championship. I think Jalen Brown, I know we see all the memes about how he can't dribble with his left hand, things like that. I think he's a great player. I think Kristaps Porzingis is a huge addition for that team. Obviously, you, you hate losing a guy like Marcus Smart, but I think Derek White has been a very, very good point guard for that team. I think Boston, listen, the way they're playing right now, nine-game win streak, they're seven and a half games ahead of the team who's second in the East, Cleveland, who's also playing incredibly lately, by the way. They have the best... Uh, um, point differential in the NBA. They're 15-1 and one in the Atlantic Division, 27-3 and three at home. This is a team who is firing on all cylinders, and this is a team who really looks like they can win the NBA championship. Because I think in past years, Boston has always been a team that we've talked about. They, they're good. They're right there. Jason Tatum's great. He's a superstar. They got some good pieces. But right now, I think they are a team that truly can win the NBA championship, and I don't know if I would have if felt confident saying that for the past three, four years. They haven't won in 16 years, right? Yep. Yeah, 2008 was the last one they won on the yeah. back of the uh, the Rondos and the uh, Garnett's, Pierce's, Allen's. Yeah, which is like for somebody who... Doc Rivers is their coach, funny enough. I mean, I watched the, the you know, the 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 Bird, yep. the Kale, Celtics. They were brilliant. And so was the Magic, Kareem, D- Lakers. That was, the for me, the golden era. Um, but they've won like... 17 championships. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's tied with the Lakers for the most in uh, It's NBA been history. 16 years. It's well, hard to believe that. Yeah, they won like, they won 11 and 13 years or something with Bill Russell, and then they yeah. won a few more with, uh, you know, a couple in the 70s, three with uh, with Bird. Yeah. Sprinkled a couple more in there. They're, they're a great team, man, and they're right there. Would like, you say, I, would, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. Would you say the Lakers or the Celtics, they both won 17 championships. Yeah. If you had to choose the the, the history of each, of, of one over the other, could you? I would take the Lakers just because I think the Celtics were so concentrated in one era. Um, when That's Bill Russell point, yeah. and, and then we're winning all those championships. And there are a lot of, like, people talk about, oh, you know, there were only eight teams when the Lakers, or when the Celtics won their 11 championships in 13 years or 12 years, whatever it was. And the thing is, like, I, I've joked about this, like, yeah, okay, so there were only eight teams. Imagine if there were only eight teams in the NBA right now. Pretty good. Imagine what those rosters would look like. Damian Lillard would be coming off the bench for the worst team. <laughs> in the, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like we talk about Derek White being a great. Pe- Derek White would be playing in Turkey if there were only eight games, <laughs> eight teams in the NBA right now. That's no disrespect to Derek White, great player, having a borderline All Star caliber season. But I'm just saying, like you, it was such a concentrated amount of the best players all playing on one team. So you talk about there only being eight teams. I don't think it's any less impressive because I think the skill level was that much higher, that much concentrated. That said, the fact that the Lakers were able to have separate multiple dynasties across decades, I think is far more impressive. And you know, I, I I'll, I'll, I'll go as far, as far as to say this, like the, the Kobe Lakers in 09, 010, I know Pal Gasol was good. Lamar Odom was a nice piece. Ron Artest was playing well. But that team... If you look at them in a vacuum, that team probably shouldn't have been competing for championships right. year in, year out, but they still were, and that's you know that speaks to how how good they were as a team and Kobe Kobe Bryant's greatness at that time. So I, I take the I take the Lakers. Do you? Um, I guess the Bulls would be third. I don't know who would be third yeah, for you. I think it has no. to be. I mean, the the Spurs had an incredible. Yeah, they did. Dynasty as well. And the Pistons did a little bit, but... No, you can't put the Pistons in there. The Pistons, they had a nice run. The Bad Boy Pistons were good. But it was a one run. Yeah, Yeah. it was was two... Like, I wouldn't call those Pistons teams a dynasty. No. It was a nice... But, you know, they had a good run. They were nice, but I wouldn't call it a dynasty. Then, obviously, them winning in 04. Credit to that team, man. That's one of the best teams... Not best teams in terms of talent. No, but in terms of being able to win it and not necessarily having, you know... The fact that they were... So, I would probably put the... 
I would probably put the Bulls third and then the Spurs fourth, just because the Bulls were like, I mean, you weren't eating. That was the thing. Like, you just, oh, Bulls are winning again. They got Mike Lindsay. It was awful. Yeah, you just no. like, yeah, there was nothing you could do. And credit to Hakeem Olajuwon, because what Hakeem Olajuwon was able to do to win two back-to-back in 94-95, that's very impressive, because Jordan, you know, he obviously wasn't there. He took the took the time off. Baseball, um, right? Yeah, baseball. He it, well, or was you know suspended for gambling. One of the two. Well, never come really on. Know. I mean, that was nothing really. Mm-hmm. We well, we'll we'll never get confirmation. But if anyone was going to kick the best player in the league out, it I took David, it personally. It would have been David Stern. <laughs> um, but yeah, then the Warriors also as well. You can't discount what they have done in the past couple of years. They they'd probably make it up into that number five spot. All right. So I derailed, and I apologize. No, that was. I mean. I always I always love getting getting into this and just talking about the league as a whole because like the Western Conference I think is so so wild so right? it's so good this year in the top and there are teams like you look at the Phoenix Suns are the six seed right now they're seven games back it's crazy the Phoenix Suns are the six seed they're seven games back of the Timberwolves and Oklahoma City Thunder who are tied for the top record. The Cleveland Cavaliers are the second seed in the East, and they're seven and a half games back of the Celtics. No. Phoenix is a team, like, you don't look at them in the top four of that standings, obviously. You've got to scroll a little to get them. But Phoenix is a team who could win the NBA championship. I mean, we talk about, I, I know people are tired of hearing it, but we talk about the Los Angeles Lakers. Anytime you have LeBron James, they're in the conversation, right? And the Lakers are 10th, to my point. So I think the West is incredible this year well i think it's it's just so many of them right? there's so many good teams and oklahoma city's playing an incredible clip no. with a young team minnesota has everything rolling with a young team and the nuggets who won the nuggets are right last there. year and they're they're really good and yet nobody like not nobody talks about them but they're really they're they're there yeah oh yeah but they're, they're there. just they're in a pack they're there they're competitive but again there's nothing too flashy about them they don't they're not you know setting these paces for all-time greatest rac- records or anything like that so they get lost a little bit the clippers as well who played yeah, uh, incredible basketball for a while they're they're right there as well they're another team you wonder are they due or are they a team that's going to falter when they get to that top level i mean injury history has been so detrimental for them but they're a team talent wise you certainly think could win the championship as well then like what's our feeling about the lakers how do we feel about the lakers personally yes I don't. I think they're. I don't think they'll win a cha- another championship with the roster they have. They have to reload. Uh yes. I think they're going to let LeBron finish out, reset whatever he wants to do, finish out his career in LA if he chooses to do that. If he wants to go somewhere else, let him do that. How many but movies think, has he done? I mean, I think he's only done two really that so I can think of. He's got two or three more movies. Did a Space Jam. I mean, listen, this guy's going to be. They got a. They're going to build a statue for him at the NBA headquarters. You know what I mean? Like they, they might should. not build one for him in Los Angeles, but they'll build him one there. They'll build him one in Cleveland. He can do whatever he wants. He's he's built himself up into that spot where he can. But he's in his last ten years in the league, right? Well, you would certainly. I think less than ten for sure. And I've said this. I don't think LeBron is going to go out sad. I don't think LeBron is going to go out as a guy who's averaging six points and four rebounds Good coming point. off the bench in yeah. eight minutes. LeBron is still going to go out as a guy who can average twenty two six and six. But for a guy who has you know career averages of twenty seven and seven, could have arguably had eight straight MVPs kind of thing. For a guy who's been the face of the league. He he's he's not going to be that player at the end, but he's still going to be very serviceable. I think he'll still be one of the top fifteen players in the league when he goes out. There you go. All right, this was good. I enjoyed it. I love your NBA stuff that you bring because we don't give it enough attention, and you give it full attention, and that's good. I think we're serving the folks well that way, and we can spend one segment, surely to God, not talking about trade rumors. Yeah, I was going to say, like I was, you know, I joked on the Saturday sports setup. As much as we love the Oilers and how they are bread and butter, and they pill the pay the bills and put food yeah, on yeah. my table, yeah. it is sports fourteen forty at the end of the day, right? So yeah. we're happy to do it.
and the, the the NBA is like I think I you know our young friend Donovan here is not a, a, a believer in the NBA, and I think if he understood how or experienced that's a better word understood implies he doesn't can't figure it out that's not true experienced a off season in the NBA where there's explosions on the daily that are mind blowing. You've never seen a transaction summer in the NHL like the NBA does on a Tuesday in June. My goodness. Like that everything blows up. You just you okay, you look and some guy with a European name you've never heard of just got a 200 million dollar contract. <laughs> and that wasn't even the biggest news of the day because a 15-time All-Star just got traded for a 14-time All-Star and three number 1 picks in 2031. Right. It's and, crazy. And Harden is going somewhere always. Oh, he's always on the move. Love it. You want drama? Just check where James Harden's going. <laughs> what about Kevin Durant? Oh man. Man. Top fifteen player of all time. Really? Oh, yeah. oh yeah, for sure. But no. there's always going to be a bit of a stain on uh, on how he won his rings, as far well, as I'm concerned. Listen, two time Finals MVP. He was the man on those teams. Don't get me wrong, but they won two without him. He never made the finals. Well, he made the finals, but he never won the finals without that Warriors team. Abgun will travel. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Jason Greger show on the way. More about the Oilers and what will they do at the deadline, and a preview of tonight's game. Uh, Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. It's time for an update. This Sports 1440 Update is brought to you by Snow Valley Ski Club. All runs and lifts are open and ready for family fun seven days a week. Visit snowvalley.ca for details. It's a quiet night in the NHL tonight with only two games on tap. The Oilers are at home on ice against the Blues with puck dropping just after 6.30. Stuart Skinner and Jordan Bennington will both be getting the start tonight. In the other game, the Blue Jackets are on the road in New York to take on the Rangers. Five games in the dub, including one that just wrapped between the Oil Kings and Calgary Hitmen. The Oil Kings were topped 6-3 by the Hitmen. Red Deer will play the PA Raiders, and the Chiefs are at home against the Blazers. In the AJ, Drayton Valley is battling Olds. In the NBA, there's six games on the slate. The Raptors are at home to battle the Mavs with tip-off set for 5.30. The Pelicans play the Pacers. The T-Wolves clash with the Grizzlies. The Cavs battle the Bulls. The Kings take on the Nuggets. And the Lakers play the Clippers. In spring training action, the Toronto Blue Jays have edged out the Tampa Bay Rays by a final score of 3-2. The Baltimore Orioles are up huge on the Minnesota Twins, 12-2 in the bottom of the ninth. And the Atlanta Braves and Philadelphia Phillies are knotted at sevens in the bottom of the ninth. Coming up on Sports 1440, it's the Jason Greger Show. I'm Donovan Paulson, and that's your Sports 1440 update. The heartbeat of sports. The fans. This, this is Low Tide on Sports 1440. Driven by Wolf GM.